Welcome in to the Blue Jay Beat postgame show, sponsored by nobody. Um, I'm Matt DeMarinas, and I am joined today by Jacob Padilla of Hale Varsity and Ravi Lula of... Um, he's like a mercenary, but I think he's starting a new podcast on Jay's 247. So we, we can get start giving him some labels. Um, thanks for hopping on, buddies. Appreciate you guys. Yeah, thanks for having me. Happy to be here. So we are here to recap and analyze Creighton's, what was the final score? 80 to 73 loss at Xavier today. Creighton's third game in last month, basically. It's January 15th. Yeah. So Creighton's third third game since December, since they beat since they beat Villanova the first time, right? They've played Marquette, Villanova, Xavier. So three road games, <laughs> three road games in four weeks. Not ideal. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I'll let you guys just tee off. We'll start with uh, Jacob. We'll go age before beauty, right? No, Robbie's older than Jacob, isn't he? Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Right, Robbie's, and, Robbie's and I'm not beautiful. Yeah, well, Robbie's a beautiful man, so I didn't want to, you know, that, that beard is just next level, so I didn't want to, yeah, that's how I went with it. But we'll let beauty, we'll let age go first then, Robbie, and we'll call Jacob the beautiful one today. Um, um, your, your takeaways. Yeah, I mean, it. they look like a team that hasn't been playing very much competitive basketball lately. They're, I mean, the turnovers are the big story for me, obviously. I, I don't know what they ended up with, 21, 20, something 21. like that. Um, 21. But – they had 12 of those in the first half when they probably should have been opening up a pretty significant lead and they really couldn't get past, I think, five points in terms of a lead in the first half. To me, that was a big danger sign because they were shooting 60% in the first half and were barely ahead by a possession. So um, for me, the, the turnovers and just kind of the sloppy and, and a lot of them I thought were unforced, just kind of bad passes, lazy passes, telegraphing things. Just, you know, we were having a group chat. Jacob just said it looked like they were used to making passes five on zero and not being used to a defense even being out there. And so that was pretty frustrating because it felt like a lot of the errors were unforced. And for how well Creighton played offensively early, they didn't build up nearly a big enough lead to account for all the self-sabotage that they inflicted throughout the entire game. And it obviously caught up with them and they weren't able to overcome that. So that part was pretty frustrating because in general, I didn't think they played that poorly in terms of, you know, we've had some games this season where the offensive execution was really stagnant. I thought it got that way a little bit down the stretch, but they, uh, for the most part in the first, you know, 25, 30 minutes, I thought executed fairly well offensively, but they just couldn't hold on to the ball. So despite the fact that they were shooting in the high fifties, you know, pretty deep into the second half, it really didn't matter because Xavier had double digit more shots than they did by, you know, halfway through the second half. So that part was pretty frustrating just because I didn't think Xavier did that much to entice those turnovers. It just felt a lot like Creighton being super sloppy, which is one of the worst ways to lose a basketball game. Yeah. Yeah, And so Go ahead, Jacob. Yeah, that that is the story of the game. It it is the turnovers. And, I mean, coming into the game, Creighton was 310th in the country in turnover percentage. And they were 317th in forcing turnovers. 
So that's uh, it's going to be tough to win games when your opponents have more possessions than you uh, consistently. And those numbers are getting worse after this game, I would imagine. Uh, it was 21 to 9 uh, turnovers. And points off those were 19 for Xavier and 11 for Creighton. So they actually continue to battle defensively uh, throughout all those turnovers. And I mean, 19 points on 21 turnovers. I think you'll live with that. Uh, you won't live with 21 turnovers, but the sub one point per turnover, uh, I think you, you'll live with. But ultimately it, it did come down to the number of possessions that Xavier got. And then tough buckets in the paint late. Cause you, you look at the way they shot the ball. They won the three point line that kind of balanced that out was uh, Xavier's free throw shooting. It was 19 to eight in terms of made free throws. Um, so, and Creighton was nine to five in terms of made threes. So those kind of cancel each other out. The difference was they were plus eight in the paint. And a lot of those kind of came there late uh, down the stretch and they weren't even layups. They're, they're tough jumpers. Colby Jones was tough down the stretch because in the first half, Creighton's rim protection totally shut down the, the lane. They were five of 13 on layups and dunks in the first half. I mean, heck, Kalkbrenner had three dunks before the first media timeout or three blocks before the first media timeout. So Creighton defensively, they, 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 they kept themselves in the game despite the turnovers, but down the stretch, Xavier was able to, to make some big plays that Creighton wasn't. And you kind of look at the, the box as a whole, and this gets to something that I've been talking about for a while now, and there really isn't a solution, but it's kind of a roster construction issue. And you saw, you look at Ryan Nemhard's line, eight of 21 from the field, one of uh, six from three, six assists, three turnovers. Your point guard taking 21 shots, like, and, and unless he's really feeling it, like 21 shots for 18 points, that's just not, that's not winning basketball. And he has to do so much for this team right now and probably feels like he has to do so much. He had some tough takes that were some wild shots around the rim, um, some, some tough jumpers, um, kind of forced it a few times. One of six from three is a lot of that. Um, the, he was, but that's still seven of 15 inside the arc, and that's not a, not a good ratio either. So you, you just feel like there's not enough wing creation out there, and, and I think that played into the turnovers, where in, at the start they had that 11-0 run where five different guys got buckets uh, during that 11-0 run, and four of those buckets were assisted. I think the only one that didn't was the, the O'Connell baseline drive and dunk. So um, that's when Creighton's able to play like that, they look really good, and they're capable of being a really good team. Xavier started to take that away as the game went on. They started to get more physical. They started to, to make it tougher to, to get that ball moving as well, and Creighton just kind of lacks guys that can consistently – beat their man one-on-one -on -one and create offense. And that leads to Nemhard, who is one of the guys that can kind of do it, leads to him taking 21 shots in a game where he only made eight of them. So that, that's kind of more the takeaway long-term uh, to, to go with the turnovers is um, that's kind of the roster they have right now. Um, and I think good teams are going to continue to kind of try to exploit that weakness. Um, yeah, before we kind of dive into some of the things you guys have brought up, obviously good stuff in terms of just highlighting the turnovers and then Ryan Nimhart's, um, uh, I don't know, shot frequency, I guess is the best way to put it. Um, was, uh, Xavier in the second half, just getting downhill more. I, you know, uh, Jacob mentioned rib protection a little bit. In the first half, I didn't think it was – I thought there was a big drop-off in the second because 
you know, you start to see Kobe Jones, Paul Scruggs, um, you know, guys who are face up players, they started to get down into the teeth of the defense a little bit, started to make paint plays. They stopped settling for stupid jump shots that they were taking. Honestly, like the way Xavier played offensively in the first half was just like, there's no, there's, there was no excuse for them to go in the locker room, like without a 15 point lead, the way Creighton was coughing it up. You know what I mean? Like it was, it was, I was having a really hard time understanding how Creighton took a five point lead into the break with, you know, the way they turned the basketball over. It, it was just, it was kind of stunning, honestly. Uh, obviously they were shooting the ball well, but I mean, they had a, but they turned the ball on 40% of their possessions. Like that's, that's, you're usually getting run out of the gym if you do that on the road. You know what I mean? And to do it at Cintas and still be up five, that's, I mean, that was like a modern day miracle, basically. So, but I think a lot of that had to do with the way Xavier was just, you know, trying to operate offensively. Like they were just not playing smart. And I thought they were more intelligent in the, in the uh, second half of just like getting downhill and, uh, you know, just finding a mismatch and, you know, just attacking it. You know, it wasn't necessarily always something that looked like it was within the flow of their offense, but, you know, Scruggs has size on Nemhard. Um, Colby Jones is, you know, a long athletic off the bounce. Like he can create problems for a guy like if Trey Alexander's matched up on him or, or someone who's not as quick, um, maybe a bigger guy like Hawkins, like, there are ways for them. So I thought they did. I thought Xavier did a good job in the second half of just like making that their primary offense, like find a mismatch, whether it's speed or length and attack it. Don't necessarily try to be um, playing through Nunji and Fremantle as much and going right at Kalkbrenner off the drive from the perimeter. Um, they kind of stopped in the intermediate range and, and played through in that part of the game. So I thought that was, that helped them, kind of go on that run when Z when I thought Creighton hit um hit a wall offensively like I you know the it, the turnovers were a problem in the first half but I thought their shot creation when they did actually not turn it over when they had possessions like that I thought that their shot creation was pretty good I thought they were creating good offense for themselves in the second half after that basically 12 13 minute mark they just I mean it was wow. there. Were, the possessions were not good. The pace was not good. It looked like there was a big drop off in terms of just their, just their pop. You, do, know? You want, do you want me to get into that now? Kind of the numbers of that stretch. Oh, it's bad. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's, yeah, yeah. Go ahead. Go ahead and lay it out. Go ahead. Go ahead, Rob. If you got... real quick before you get into that, the I just wanted to touch on the. Um, you you talked about kind of Jones and Scruggs getting into those isolations and taking advantage some size advantages there. I thought one thing that Xavier did that was super smart was they it seemed like they were trying to bring Kalkbrenner out of the paint as much as possible with Fremantle and Nunji. Um, obviously, those guys can shoot a little brought Kalkbrenner away from the rim way more than Creighton would have wanted them to. And so that kind of allowed them to take advantage of the size differential because, like, if Scruggs is, you know, or Scruggs or, or uh, Colby Jones is, is – posing somebody up but Kalkbrenner's still in the middle that doesn't do you a ton of good but they were able to isolate those and get Kalkbrenner out of the lane where he really couldn't be a secondary rim protector or a secondary defender to protect the rim there 
Um, I thought that was as big of a, I don't even know if they, you know, if that was a, a conscious shift to be like, Hey, we have to get out, get Kalk runner out of there. Or if it was just kind of a byproduct of trying to isolate their mismatches, but either way, um, them being able to draw Kalkbrenner out of the middle, I thought was a huge factor in, in the rim protection, taking a huge dive in the second half. Well, and then they were attacking him too. And even if he, they drew him and he forced a miss, that opened up the, the backside for the, the offensive glass. And, and yeah, they rebounded was, a, a ton of offensive chances yeah. in the second half. Yeah. So And they were uh, making him move quite – I mean, yeah. they were trying to get him in as many like switches and – like mismatch situations as much as possible so that so even if he was like imagine even if he was kind of around the rim where you would want him to be he was only would be able to protect some of those shots so basically this game came down to a 19 to 4 by Xavier in half and they, it wasn't like Xavier was just like going off during that stretch. They were, they shot six of 16 from the field and missed all four of their threes, but they were seven to 10 from the line because they were in the bonus early. They grabbed seven offensive rebounds of those 10 misses, um, plus a couple of free throws. Um, so, and they were, and eight of those points were from Colby Jones, who got the line, but also hit a couple of those tough little like turnaround in the lane, like baby half hook things. Like that's not an easy shot, but it's one that he's clearly good at and practices a lot because he shot it like three or four times today. Um, and then Nunji had six of those two and four of those were free throws where they just kind of got out of position and, and had to foul and put him at the line. And it hit seven out of the 10 during that stretch. Uh, Creighton on the other end during uh, kind of that stretch, they two of 11 from the field, 0 of three from three with three turnovers. Um so that's kind of what Creighton did during that stretch. There was, and one of those misses was the terrible lob pass from uh, Trey to, to Kalkbrenner that they counted as a missed dunk for Kalkbrenner instead of a turnover, even though uh, the, the pass went like directly into the rim. Um, so you can, that's officially, but it was really more like two for 10 with four turnovers, but they, they just weren't making shots. Um, they Whereas on the other end, Xavier had Jones stepping up and making plays and they crashed the glass relentlessly uh, and took advantage of Creighton being out of position. Um, and that is ultimately the game because Creighton kind of battled. But at that point, they, they dug themselves too big of a hole down the stretch again, 19 to four. And it was, it took a long time to build that 19 to four run. Cause again, it wasn't like Xavier was playing well offensively. They just got so many more possessions and they were in the bonus and got to the free throw line so much that uh, they were able to put points on the board, whereas Creighton just wasn't. Yeah, it took about eight minutes to do that. Yeah. yeah it was a long stretch of poor play for Creighton and then Xavier just kind of like compiling points at the free throw line. And, you know, like you said, on that that little stop and pop game inside for Colby Jones. Um, but, the, one you know, the, the one – the, the one, Well, hold on a sec. One, one, the one thing that I think, you know um, – for Creighton that I thought affected things like the, it, this goes to a larger picture of just like how I feel about Xavier and, you know, some of their recent performances. I just don't love the way they guard the basketball. Like I think they have to go zone way too much for their personnel. And I think, you know, Creighton kind of exposed that their ability to not stay in front of the dribble um, in the first half. And that's what I would talk about. Like in the second half, I don't know 
how much of it was the lack of game reps just eating into their legs and, you know, them kind of hitting a wall. I, I do, I imagine um, it had a, it had an impact, but it just like, they just didn't, the, the, the pace and purpose with, with which they were moving was night and day from the first half, especially early on to the second half. When you look at the, the major part of that run, they just, it was all a bunch of, it was kind of like the second half of Marquette where it was like, there's a lot of, you know, there's there's a lot of stuff going on maybe at the point of attack, but not necessarily stuff that's creating scramble situations for the defense on the backside that's creating mismatches that, you know, a guy can make a play on a two-on-one where he can find the open shooter and create a rotation that can get, you know, a high percentage look at the end of it. Like, you know, and as Jacob mentioned, Xavier causing problems on the backside when against Creighton's initial – when the, Creighton's initial defense was in the position to get a stop, like – they never forced, I mean, Xavier, they never forced Xavier to make a play on the backside because they just weren't, it just wasn't flowing the way it was in the first half. And I thought, you know, that was a big reason why that run went the way it did for, I mean, I think it was like four points in like 14 possessions for Creighton. And, you know, you could criticize, there, there was a lot to critique there, like from shot selection to decision-making um, with the ball, like, it just it just felt like they hit a little bit of a wall where their, their level of play dropped off offensively compared to the way it was in the first half. And I know you look at it and say, well, they turned the ball over a ton in the first half, so how good were they really playing? But, I mean, you know, on possessions where they were getting shots on the rim, those were really, really good quality possessions. It wasn't like they were just shooting well to offset turnovers. They were creating good offense in, you know, in 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 concert with the turnovers somehow. I don't know how it was working, but it was, so. I just thought that was a big part of that run in the second half was Creighton's um, lack of flow offensively more than something that Xavier did defensively. And that kind of goes back to what I was saying. And you needed somebody to make plays and they just didn't really have that guy. Ryan tried to, but it just wasn't happening for him. Um, and th- there was a lot of, uh, of Nemhard during that stretch. Um, I think he, he might've had both buckets. I know he definitely had at least one of them, I think during that stretch. Um and then Hawkins tried to, at the end, kind of tried to drag them out of it after they had already hit that. He hit the three and then got fouled and, and hit both free throws. Uh, so it kind of tried to get them back into it a little bit and give them a chance down the stretch. But um, they, need, they need somebody to make a play like that a little bit sooner. Uh, and it just it, it didn't happen for him. Yeah, I was I was wondering about that while I was watching the game today is that it felt like earlier in the season and maybe it's, you know, opponent dependent and things like that, but it felt like earlier in the season, we saw Hawkins kind of take over offensively in terms of at least the touches he was getting, he would get kind of these mid post touches and seemed to kind of, you know, when they needed a bucket kind of orchestrate things from there a little bit. And I don't remember seeing that a lot in the last few games. Um, maybe it's just my perception here. I haven't broken down the, uh, the touches or anything in those areas, but it, it feels like for until the very end here, like you mentioned, it, it felt like Hawkins was not, I, I guess, aggressive enough in isolation situations or as kind of, Hey, we need to make a play, you know, give the ball to Ryan Hawkins and, and something good will happen. It seemed like they've been relying a lot more on them hard rather than, allowing Hawkins to do some of the things he's able to. I get that it's a little bit different of a situation because of the positions that they play. You have to get the ball to Hawkins in different spots and in different ways. Um, 
but I thought that was that was something I had noticed in the last couple games that I just had kind of wondered about why they weren't getting Hawkins those types of touches that they seemed to earlier in the year. Yeah, the the when you look at you know just Hawkins' disparity a little bit here, like um, <laughs> he he's kind of drifting a little bit, you know towards the perimeter part of the game when he has that ability to score in the post. Like, I think if you went back and watched the first Villanova game, um, like his disparity, he had, he took 14 shots, attempted four free throws and six of, and he only had, he was three of six from three. Um, but in, since then, when you, when you add up uh, Marquette, the Villanova rematch, and then today, 21 of his 30 shot attempts have come from three. So that's a little bit unbalanced, right? Considering how potent he is at scoring in the low block, you know, whether it's back downs, um, face up and drive, or just like setting those one, four ball screens where he slips to the rim and, you know, catches and like that, that patented Doug McDermott play that Creighton scored off so well back in the day. Um, yeah. You know, he like, he, he, like, that's what I mean. Like that, Creighton can get him involved more that way um, to maybe stem some runs. Like, they, and it just feels like he's more of a – he's been more of a three-point specialist the last three games as opposed to more of a inside-outside option for them. I think some of that is, like, what the defense is doing, right? Like, so Villanova put speed on him. Yeah. They guarded him with Justin Moore a lot. So, you know, you'd think that there's an opportunity there for for Hawkins to – you know, exploit that down low. But if his touch starts at the perimeter, it's tougher, right? So with Villanova switching, it kind of like just created that problem where they couldn't get him the ball in the post. Um, today was different, right? Because you have Fremantle on him a lot. Kobe Jones, who has size and quickness, like that's that's a tough matchup to find, like where's your sweet spot there in terms of like, how do I take advantage of this matchup? You would think, um, if Fremantle's guarding you, your advantage is on the perimeter, right? Same with maybe Colby Jones because he's long enough to, to challenge shots inside. So, yeah, that's that's one thing that I think from a continuity standpoint their offense needs to get back to is um, making Ryan Hawkins more of the versatile scoring option that he was uh, maybe before the Christmas break because it seemed to unlock a lot of their offense when you can get him just into kill spots all on the floor. Like we know he can shoot the three very well, you know, his ability to step out and, and, you know, just catch and release and, 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 and score that way is well-documented, but he also is really potent at just backing guys down, creating angles and finding ways to and finish off the glass too. That, that being said, I do think some of that has kind of fallen off with the transition to this level and you see him uh, struggle to finish. He's actually, uh, I'm just looking at his synergy page. He's just been average in post-ups. He's 8 of 20 uh, from the field in the post, uh, 0.73 points per possession, so 38th percentile. So he actually hasn't been that great in, in the post this season overall. We, we know that he's capable. Uh, he's got the skill set down there, but we've also seen him miss uh, uh, quite a number of contested shots around the basket, uh, and part of that might just be, again, the tra- translation to a higher level of basketball than what he's done before previously. Whereas he's scoring 1.131 points possession and very good 82nd percentile as a spot up player. 
Um, he's off screens. He, he's very good. Um, good as a pick and roll man. I'm sure there's a lot of pops in there. They don't necessarily specify that right here with what I'm looking at. But um, so I think we know he's capable of it, but there's probably a reason he's kind of um, sliding to one more than the other because he's finding um, at this level, I'm probably a little bit better at this than I am at that. But they do need to continue to try to mix it up um, just based on we know he's capable of it. Um, maybe it is more of a matchup thing where you try to be, be really um, specific about when you want to go to that part of his game. But they've got to continue to find a way to keep diversifying the offense. And the other thing is, too, he is the best four spacer, too, with so many of the other guys struggling to shoot the ball. You need him out there. He's got to be that threat. He's got to be knocking down their shots because he, he can't space a four for himself. So those post-ups are going to be a little bit tougher if he's the best shooter on the floor and he's the one on the block. So they're helping off whoever else out there. Um, that, that could be part of it as well. Well, I, I understand the efficiency part of it for sure. I guess my, I, and you know, he's a smart basketball player, so he probably understands, yeah, I'm less efficient in the post than I have on the perimeter. Um, it's probably something I've talked to him about as well, but I do think it's something that Creighton needs from him in the sense that I would at this point prefer a Ryan Hawkins post up over some of the shot selection and shot creation we've seen from Nemhard recently. Right. Like I, I understand neither of those are terribly high efficiency situations right now, but with Hawkins in the post, I feel better about taking my chances in some of those situations to at least, if for no other reason, take some of that creation responsibility off of Nemhard's plate. Because if you can, it you know, at the very least, take three or four shots, you know, five or six shots away from Nemhard, so he's in that 15 shots range versus 2021. 20, that's probably something you know that the team and me personally is more comfortable with in terms of. Uh, shot volume and frankly there's there's not a lot of other places to put it besides Hawkins and so you may have to trade some some touches that he would prefer be in higher efficiency areas for touches that are lower efficiency for him but maybe higher efficiency than the other things they're able to get you know there's not a lot of high efficiency spots in this offense for guys that outside of like you know like hot uh caulk runner right at the rim um you mentioned there's not a lot of wing creation so you have to get your shots other ways so rather than a kaluma isolation maybe you take your chances on a hawkins post up um so i i definitely understand the efficiency disparity there between hawkins on the perimeter versus in the post but i think at some point you still have to almost force feed it down there because you're you're going to end up force feeding something, right? Whether it's Nemhard trying to create for himself, whether it's one of the other wings trying to create something at a, at a certain point during conference games, you're going to have to try and force feed something offensively because it's not going to come and flow naturally the way you would want it to. So the question is which portion of your offense do you want to try and force? And from this point, I'd like to see them force a few more Hawkins, post-up touches than I would more than hard isolation or more wing isolation that I don't feel great about. Yeah. And eight shots is, is not enough for Hawkins on, on a day when he's, he's making shots. 
So that is another way that you can get him the ball. You know, it's so like six it's all kind Noah of a, too. Like he should not be in single yeah. digits. No way. No. no way. Again, that at twenty one for uh, R two versus uh, eight right. for Hawk. That's just not going to work. Well, twenty one for Nemhard and eighteen for O'Connell and Hawkins. He had more than those two combined. And then yet they had thirty five points on their shots. Yeah. Like, look how efficient they were. Well. If they didn't, yeah. I mean, well. Yeah. Uh, O'Connell yeah. hit some toughies, but I mean, like the point is like, you know, he's eight of 21 and then, you know, that's the, and he's taking more shots than the two leading scorers in the game other than him. Yeah. Right. You know what I mean? It's so like there, there has to be more balance there. Yeah. Um, but I mean, like, I think Jacob makes a really good point about the spacing part of it. And, you know, like the, the, the so the tough part about getting Hawkins post touches is like, you already have Cockburner down there. So maybe the, the post touches come with maybe, uh, you know, Keyshawn in the game with some high-low situations where he just has a ball screen or runs a little DHL accent action, and then like as you know, the defender chases the the you know like Nemhard or Trey Alexander, whoever it is, Alex O'Connell. Like you just have Keyshawn, who's a good post passer, just like feed Hawkins down there when he just you know just have him just like play bully ball for a second, one or two possessions, just get him something down there, right where like it's. It's a situation like or, that, or, like, or or maybe you explore a little bit more of the small ball unit and have a lot of like screens and try to get some uh, switches there and then take advantage of that. If he ends up getting the, the right switch, it's back and down, and you got four guys around. We saw yeah. it for obviously this is something we've been talking about in the group chat, not necessarily on air as much, but right. um, we saw what eight, uh, 85 seconds of it today, and it was a, a 4 0 personal uh, Kaluma run. There's the step back jumper and then the tip in uh, yeah. right at the end of the half. And, yeah. So I, I just, um, you know, I, it's, this, it's this is, nice this is your first opportunity to sound off on the uh, small lineup. I'm just like, I'm just curious how you evaluate. Like I know it was successful from a scoreboard standpoint, but you know, we've seen it for 70 seconds against Villanova where I think it would fall into waking nightmare territory. And then, you know, another 70 second spurt today, like, go ahead and sound off on how you think that yeah. small ball lineup has been going so far in terms of what it's created. Well, I, I don't know that it has, again, it's like less than three minutes total. So we don't really have, um, it, it wasn't something I was like, you know what, this is definitely going to work. I don't know why they haven't tried it. It's just kind of more like it's worth exploring. I think at this point, especially with um, kind of some of the struggles they've had with, Kaluma in his current and and I know you've talked about you don't want to overload him um, and try to have him learn some different things but at the same like he's struggling really right now to like even when he makes plays it rarely seems like it's kind of in the flow Uh, it's more like wow that was a really tough shot that he went and hit Um, like some of the fadeaways some of the weird shots in the post Uh, it seems just like with him as a, a guy on the perimeter uh, it just doesn't really flow a lot of time. He holds it a lot. He tries to attack and doesn't necessarily beat his man that often off the bounce. So it just seems like he's struggling being a, a wing. So it, uh, I just thought maybe he could he could get more comfortable, get him some, some different kinds of touches, getting him setting a screen and rolling, getting him in, in the dunker spot um, where you drive and got the dump off or there for the offensive rebound like we saw at the end of the half. Uh, maybe if he has a five on him, then – he can get that jumper off, can get uh, – you can use some of those perimeter scores a little bit easier compared to a three or a four when it's guarding him. So 
like everything that you said, like all the, the little stuff that goes beyond what we typically see uh, when evaluating that kind of stuff, that is definitely an argument against it. But I, I feel like there's enough there that it's like, well, it's probably worth trying, especially when Fizel just doesn't have it clicking in, in that game. Um, so we'll see. I mean, he, he didn't really have a choice. There was some foul trouble there, obviously, in the first half. And then uh, Fizel, it just, again, wasn't, wasn't quite working with him out there. So they went for it went to it for the last 85 seconds of the first half and it worked that time like you said it didn't work the previous time and it's just too small sample size to take any big um takeaways at, at this point but I, I think it is something theoretically that could work but if all the little things that you talk about um kind of outweigh that then i understand um why why mac is hesitant to go with that yeah i mean for me i, I agree with jacob in the sense that obviously less than three minutes of it is not nearly enough to make any sort of uh, conclusion on it with. For me, it's, it's what he was talking about. The, the argument for it is just to experiment and explore and see what happens. Um, I think we've seen enough of what the struggles are with the traditional lineups that they've been running. And yeah, it, it might be worse. That's obviously a possibility, but there's also especially with the backup minutes with Fizel in there, I think there's a pretty hard ceiling that is not that high on the types of, uh, on the type of basketball you're able to play um, with the minutes that, that they've gotten out of that backup five spot. And with some of those backup units, it's, it's not just a Fizel thing. It's, you know, the backup units in general, and even some of sometimes the starting units when teams start to make adjustments in the second half. So, I think it's for me just worth exploring and experimenting with because there are some interesting pieces on this roster that it seems like don't totally have a good fit for where they're at yet, or maybe have not found the ideal role for themselves yet. And it's probably worth looking at just seeing, just seeing what might, what else might work besides what they've tried already. It just doesn't feel like they've tried very much stuff for a brand new team. I mean, you're talking about, you know, so many newcomers that are major minutes for this team. And it doesn't feel like they've tried very many different variations. Yeah, sorry about that. Technical difficulties. But uh, just, you know, I don't know. Uh, I kind of want to switch gears a little bit to a larger point. So I apologize to Ravi for the point he just made that got shitted on by the recording. Um, but, like, overall, I'm kind of encouraged by this performance for Creighton. Because, like, I just look at – and I know that, you know, two of their main producers today, especially the, from an efficiency standpoint, were – Ryan Hawkins and Alex O'Connell who aren't going to be back next year. I understand that. But like, I just look at what Xavier had on the floor this year or today, I should say. And, you know, it's like, you know, Nate Johnson is in his fifth year or, you know, uh, actually he might be in the sixth year. Yeah. No, Nate Johnson's a six year senior. Paul Scrooge is a fifth year senior. Adam Kunkel's a fifth year senior. Uh, Kobe Jones is a sophomore. Juan Odom's a sophomore. Uh, Zach Freeman is a junior. Jerome Hunter is a junior. Uh, Jack Dungey is a fifth year. Like, um, 
that's basically their rotation. That's a ton of experience right there. Different spots, right? Like not all at Xavier, but, you know, they've got a ton of D1 experience. And I just feel like Creighton's got um, guys playing big minutes who don't have that type of experience. So for them to go to Cintas off of a, what, a 10-day layoff? When do they play Marquette? The 30, the second, yeah. right? No, it was like a yeah. So they played. They hadn't played since the second. They played Villanova the fifth. Oh, you're right, the fifth. Yeah, yeah. So nine yeah. days in between or eight days in between games. Um, nine days. Yeah. I'm just like I. I don't know. I'm encouraged by that because I feel like they were close to winning this ball game pretty comfortably if they had just been cleaner for. You know, not even cleaner. I'll say just like not as sloppy for extended stretches as they were. Right? Because like when the turnover started to happen in the first half, they happened almost all at once. It was like nine out of 10 possessions. And it, when, it the, when, when, when they hit the wall in the second half, it would happen all at once. Like it just fell apart. So it was 11 the, turnovers was mitigated. Like they probably win the game. 11 turnovers in six minutes and 15 seconds. That yeah. is really hard to do. <laughs> and still lead. Right. Yeah. Like, yeah. Exactly. and they so, never lost the lead. Never that's lost the lead. Yeah. It didn't. Yeah, exactly. So I, I, I'm, I'm encouraged by that because I think they're closer to, mitigating those issues than they are making those worse you know what i mean so um especially if they can well, so, home games and just get into a normal game situation like i think that stuff that flow will come back more naturally as they start to play more games if they knock on wood so i don't know when i look at how experienced xavier is and how much creighton's still kind of looking for it a little bit I'm, I'm i'm overall encouraged by the way this game played out because I think in the long run, um, I think in the long run, Creighton might have a higher ceiling, even though Xavier is like, you know, probably a lock for the tournament at this point. Um, you know, I just, I don't know. I just, I feel like Creighton played well enough to win today that they just, they just cost themselves in the first half with the turnovers not allowing them to build enough big enough lead. Um, to play from in front and be a little bit settle into the game a little bit more. And then in the second half, when, you know, when they went cold and Xavier started, you know, just putting that run together, like, I don't know. I just, I'm, I'm not, <laughs> I know people don't like optimism in the face of losses. Like I understand that people want, wanted that win regardless of how it played out, but I just, I don't know. I just feel like there, I feel like that performance was pretty encouraging considering what Creighton's uh, kind of dealt with over the last month. Like I just, I, yeah. you know, especially coming off of Nova, like yeah, it was nothing yeah, good they, the Nova game, but no, you know, winning at Marquette, which is aging very well by the day. And then yeah. basically playing Xavier to the wire. Like that's, that's tough to do. So they, they covered against the top 25 on the team on the road, coming off an extended break, playing one game and however many days. Um, so yeah, in that respect, um, there, there are some things to be excited about. The question is, though, um, right now, the turnovers, they're a, a feature, not a bug. Again, they were 310th right. yeah. in the country. Mm-hmm. And the, the frustrating part is the kind, like like Robbie mentioned off the top, and like I mentioned in the chat, like it's the kind of turnovers and the fact that they continue to happen. Like at a certain point, you as a player have to realize what you're doing wrong and fix it and adjust to it. And it just seemed like Crane kept making the same kind of mistakes. And some of that is uh, was Xavier's pressure and physicality and all that. That led to some of it, but you got to adjust to what's happening, the way the game's being called, the way that they're, you're being defended. You have to understand passes, 
our pass didn't work last time. I got to do it differently this time. Instead of throwing the same pass a, a few possessions later or uh, just being casual handling the ball or not, not paying attention to your own footwork, um, all that kind of stuff. Like at a certain point, like you should never get to a stretch where you have, again, nine out of 10 possessions or turnover or whatever. You, you got to realize that some guys, we just got to get a shot up here. We got to really focus in on doing the little things and making better decisions. That's, that's the frustrating part is that it is continuing. And it's hard to know, again, some of these are young guys, but again, Alex O'Connell had five today and there were some really bad ones mixed in with his turnovers. And that's not a guy that you can talk about in experience. Like, yeah, he hasn't played a ton, but total minutes throughout his career. Uh, like that's a guy that uh, of anybody, he, he's got to, he's got to be a guy that can help you stabilize you in that area instead of making it worse. Mm-hmm. And um, that's kind of the troublesome part is that it continues to happen and that it's a lot of different guys involved in that and that they haven't found a way. And again, it's only their whatever conference game um, so far. So they're still kind of working their way into it. So the season, we're like halfway through the season, but it feels like less than that for Creighton just in terms of total games. Um, so it's kind of like, when is that that point in the season where it's no longer um, they're figuring this out and that's just who they are. And I don't know what that point is with this team. It's kind of hard to figure that out. But the, the longer this goes on, the closer or the more I start to worry about this being who they are, not something that they're working through. Let's get into questions here because I know Jacob's against the clock, so I want to make sure we get him um, out on the road in a safe manner. Uh, first question from Richard Parker. Um, my group chat of Creighton alumni wants to know if Kalkbrenner is, the, is already the best big man of the past 10 years for – CU. I'm assuming that's a Creighton centric question, yeah. right? Um, yeah, I don't know. Rob, you want Rob, you want to go first since Jacob just got done? Um, yeah, I can. I know Jacob did some some research on this while you guys were waiting for me to hop on here, but um, I think from a rim protection standpoint, he's the best rim protector Creighton's had in I don't know how long, probably longer than ten years. I know Etienne. Yeah, pro- I mean, honestly, like that's probably where you're going here in terms of, of rim protection there. Um, I know by, you know, Patton had some blocks and had a little bit of that, but his overall rim protection um, I, I didn't think was nearly as strong as Kalkbrenner's. Um, Crumple was good for the occasional block. You know, Christian Bishop was good for some highlight blocks, but we're just talking in a total different level of, of defense and rim protection from – golf runner than we've seen from anyone in in my crate stop swaying your chair yeah sorry um (laughs) so from that standpoint yeah offensively i really like his footwork i don't think he's quite as skilled offensively maybe as some of the other guys um like jeff grizzell obviously crumple was super (laughs) what's that like jeff grizzell he said Um, I'm going to keep talking and ignore that. Uh, obviously, Crumple was a lot more versatile um, in terms of some of the things he could do. Um, while Patton had a lot of the highlights and stuff, I actually think that Kalkbrenner's further along offensively than Patton was. It, a lot of Patton's um, offensive stuff was uh, more. What's yeah. that? It was flashes more than anything consistent. Well, and it was a lot of it was predicated on how good Maurice Watson was. 
um, once Maurice Watson went out, Patton's production went down with it. So um, that was a lot of it with Patton was just having a, a really good relationship with his point guard. Um, I think from an actual offensive skill standpoint, Kalkbrenner is um, is better in, in that sense. So you can certainly make the argument that he's the, the best center in the last 10 years for Creighton. Um, I don't think it's a runaway by any means. I do think other guys have arguments, but if somebody wants to say, you know, this is the, this is the best, you know, Creighton center we've seen in a decade. I, I don't necessarily have an issue with that. Yeah. I, I think my initial reaction to this question, when I did start looking at numbers was just to kind of marvel at the consistency of, good post play Creighton has had over the last decade. You had the, obviously the Doug senior year where you didn't have a big man. It was Ethan Rocky playing the five. So you kind of take him out of that. And then the, the year after that. The where, glorious five that was too. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, honestly, the best five Creighton's ever. <laughs> <laughs> and then, uh, and then the year after that was, I guess, uh, Will Artino um, was kind of the, the, the main big man averaged six points a game. Uh, so you, you take out those two seasons and the other eight, you've got Echenique, Grossell, Patton, Crample, Crample, Bishop, Bishop, and now Kalkbrenner. And outside of Bishop's first year as a starter, all of those guys average 11 points a game or better. Um, and they're all somewhat similar rebounds, all in the like six to eight range rebounding. Uh, Robbie's right that Kalkbrenner blows away everybody else in terms of rim protection. And the, the block numbers themselves, uh, 2.8. Uh, I think the next best was Gregory Echenique at 1.7. Um, I think Justin – I like Justin a lot. I think his room protection definitely was kind of overstated. Because of just get. But in terms of – in terms of inf- impacting shots at the rim, nobody does it better than Kalkbrenner. And Kalkbrenner is one of the best in the country at it. And – I think offensively, Martin Crample is definitely the, the most versatile of, of all of these guys, uh, just in terms of he, he averaged 13 and a half a game his last year as a starter. Um, that's the most of this group. Uh, and did it shooting almost 60% from the field while also shooting threes, which outside of Justin Patton, who was 8 of 15, uh, nobody else really took threes uh, of the, the, the center group. So he's the least efficient in terms of just overall field goal per, uh, percentage, but he was also taking a lot more jump shots than the rest of these guys who were almost exclusively finished at the rim guys. And Kalkbrenner, actually, you look at his synergy profile, like he's 91st percentile uh, as a post, uh, in post-up efficiency, uh, 92nd percentile in cutting efficiency, and 89th percentile in, in pick and roll finishing. Um, so like he's, he's good uh, on putbacks. Um, but but I think that's a lot of struggles kind of with the strength, the ball back up sometimes, um, where that's kind of lower efficiency than the rest of his stuff. But like, he's just absurd, uh, what he's done this year. He's in the 97th percentile nationally in, in scoring efficiency, which is just ridiculous and also points to. Creighton, uh, Creighton's development and their system and what they do for big put those guys in. Um, it's just, you look at it, Echenique, 66% from the field. Grossell, 70% from the field. Patton, 68% from the field. Crample, 67% that first year as a starter before he started shooting more jumpers. 
where it dropped down to 60%. Bishop was at 59% and then 68% last year. Uh, and then Kalkbrenner this year, that 71% from the field. Um, so like Greg McDermott is so good at developing big men within his program and, and his assistants. And I, I think it is probably, uh, it's probably the, the discussion is between Crample and Kalkbrenner, but where Kalkbrenner is now as a sophomore compared to any of these guys, like we didn't get to see sophomore Justin. Um, although, I mean, I guess his freshman year was sophomore Justin. Um, but he's, he's right on pace to be uh, the best big men Creighton's had in a, in a long time. Yeah, there aren't well, many, and I, there aren't many scraps left after Jacob just picked the bone clean there. But I, I the one, the one, the one kind of caveat to this question is like we we've seen the finished products with all those guys except for um, Patton who left early um, and Bishop who transferred. Like with Kalkbrenner, it's like there. This isn't even like scratching the surface yet. Like this is his first year really of playing um, starters minutes, right? So and he's not even. You know, basically a handful of games in, he's not even half, halfway. He hasn't even played like half of a season, or I guess maybe you would consider this half of the season. This was game fifteen today. Fifteen. So, um, there's like, there's it's tough to evaluate this because, you know, defensively with his back to the basket, rebounding, offensive rebounding, um, his ability to stay in front of the ball when he switched onto guards and wings. Like, there's more development there. You know what I mean? Because there was a lot to like from all those guys. Like, by the end of his career, Martin Krampel was amazing at switching out to ball handlers and heating them up and, you know, just disrupting offensive flow for teams. Um, he got really great at, you know, stepping out and dragging big men away from the rim and knocking down threes. Um, and you know how you can finish inside. He's great above the rim. Um, Bishop, amazing in the DHO actions for this offense. Like, helped them kind of unlock their potential um, in 2019-20. You know, Justin Patton was, like, pretty special in terms of his playmaking ability um, in flashes in that 16-17 season. So, you know, and then Jeff Grizzell late in his career, like, you know, in terms of fundamentals and his ability to just, you know, be a little bit unorthodox with the left-handed, you know, left-hand dominant post player um, to take advantage of that, like, you know, great footwork, great, great touch around the rim, great ability to finish. Um, like, I don't know. There's, it's tough because right now it's like they're, those guys had great careers, but Cockburners hasn't even begun, it feels like. You know what I mean? So um, this might be a question worth revisiting later on, you know, just, just to see how much more um, Cockburner improves over the course of his career. Uh, moving on to the next question, uh, this one's from Nicholas Winninger. Uh, with the back half, with the back half of the conference schedule filling up with postponed games, um, who on the bench can give more slash better minutes? Um, we look tired today, probably out of game shape, but I feel like we will be zombies by March with the lack of rest. We'll have greatness and kind of establish a bench a little bit there. So that's kind of the wonder. So. Who on the bench right now, assuming Reef is um, unavailable for the rest of the season, needs to step up for Creighton in order to help them get to the finish line with this grind of a schedule they have coming up. COVID notwithstanding, knock on wood. Yeah, I mean, I think 
when we saw Roddy start to get more minutes before kind of the extended pauses here, but um, didn't see a ton of him today. I think Roddy is a guy that they're going to have to get some more minutes out of. Um, would be really nice if they could get those minutes out of Fizel as well. So you don't have to lean on Kalkbrenner quite so much, but the, the those two guys my head, but um, they're already leaning pretty heavily on Trey Alexander for minutes. Um, outside of that, I, I don't know if you can go as deep. I, I don't think it's reasonable to expect much out of John Christophilus this year. Um, so really, I think it's going to end up being, okay, can you get more minutes out of Roddy? Can you get more minutes out of Keyshawn Fee? Um, I don't know that there's anybody else you can really reach to on that roster and say, okay, I feel good putting this guy in here in a, in a Big East game in crunch time um, unless Christophilus has come a lot further along than, you know, I realize I don't think there's a ton of options. Yeah, I, I thought it was a little strange, the, the lack of Roddy minutes. So, I mean, they were outscored by four in his four minutes. Um, I, I don't remember him necessarily being the problem when he was out there. Like, I didn't notice him like just blowing plays left and right what he's out there. It, it did feel a little strange to me that Mac went such uh, pulled him so quickly and didn't really give him a chance to play just based on what we'd seen recently um, in, in the recent games from him before they, they hit the, the little break here. Um, I, I don't know why that was the case, uh, especially with Nemhard. I mean, again, the, the turnovers and some of the shots, like, it wasn't, I don't know that he was playing so great that you had to have him out there for every second of the game. Um, I feel like you could maybe have stolen a couple more minutes for him on the bench, maybe talking through some things about how he could better attack or, or get better shots off, um, kind of pull him on the side a little bit. He played 36 minutes. Um, so I that, that did kind of seem strange to me. It, it is going to have to be Roddy at this point. Um, we can't count on, on Reef coming back. And I, I think Fizel, that's they're gonna have to keep they're gonna have to keep trying. And if it isn't gonna work, they're gonna have to find a, a better solution than playing uh, Kalkbrenner uh, 35 minutes. We we talked about that already, um, so I won't go back to that. But um, the, the Roddy minutes definitely kind of stood out to me, uh, or the lack of minutes, I would say. Yeah, for sure. Uh, that was a little bit unusual though you know the one thing i'm i just don't know about yet is like i i think that as they as if they settle into a um i don't know a schedule here where they just don't run into cancellations like they did last year and they start playing all these games you know one after the other then those minutes um that minutes disparity will i think it's gonna have an impact eventually um, I just don't know if it's if it's the reason right now. Like, they've hardly played. They, I mean, and Ryan Emhart is still a freshman. He needs as many game reps as he possibly can right now. So, like, I maybe that's some of it. But then again, like, you can make the same argument for Roddy. Like, he needs as many game reps as he can get right now if he's going to be PG two the rest of the year, right? So, yeah, yeah like I, I'm not really sure how that plays out right now. I'm not really sure what goes into the thought process either. When I mean, it's just such an unusual time frame where you've only played, um, you know, a handful of games here in a month's time where you should be, you know, near seven or eight and you've only had three or four. So, like, I don't know what's going into that from a game planning standpoint. Um, 
or an in-game standpoint when you're just like, hey, we need we need we need to use these guys for this stretch right here to see what we can get out of this. Um, because like they're you know th- at this point in the year they're kind of in win game mode now. Like that's why you know part of the thing part of our conversation in the group chat that we're we're laying out right here um, with experimentation is that 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 phase of the year is kind of out the window if you're trying to make the NCAA tournament right now. So you, right now Creighton thinks they're an NCAA tournament team. They're kind of right on the cusp of it. So like it's it's about winning games. The time for experimentation was so, against Arkansas Pine Bluff, my, Kennesaw State, like Southern Illinois Edwardsville. Those games where they had to kind of grind out victories, where they didn't get to put guys in and get them extended reps. I feel like that was a missed opportunity for Creighton's team this year, because that's when you would have twenty minutes for player number seven on your bench. You know what I mean? Like, and you see more things on film about what their strengths and weaknesses are. Yeah. I'm not necessarily advocating for experimentation for its own sake. It's I'm saying let's try something different when it's not what they're doing already isn't working. Um, if it's not working, then the, the worst that could happen is it's also not going to work uh, if you try something different. Um, so I, I know you're going to go with what you're comfortable with and what you practice with, but um, I, I also feel like you got to, you can't be so rigid that you like, this is the only way that this can work if it's not working. Uh, get what I'm saying? Yeah, no, I do. The thing is like, if it has worked in the past, your first inclination is, yeah. is to just go to that player and say, do it better. Yeah. Instead of, instead of say that didn't work, sit down, we're going to try this. You know what I mean? At this yeah. point in the year, it's about, like if something isn't working, it's it's do it better is the first response, not the not the well. Let's pull the plug on that and try something else. You know what I mean? That's what I mean. Like the f- option B is do it better at this point in the year, yeah. because you kind of like I, I think at this point in the season, from what they've evaluated, they feel like we know what strengths and what our strengths are, what our weaknesses are, um, and what we should be getting out of these lineups, and that's kind of like what they're doing right now in terms of mixing and matching. That's what I mean by like the time for experimentation is like that window closed already. I think because it, it, it and it's not like you can't open again. You know what I mean? If they lose like four or five games in a row, and all of a sudden the NCAA tournament becomes more um, like it's it's further out of view. Like you'll try things to get yourself just into a different rhythm to see what happens, and then maybe you're like that's what happened in 2018-19, right? They lost. You know, they, they they suffered a couple losing streaks that changed the trajectory of their season. So, you know, and I know injuries played into that, too. But, like, there was also, like, okay, well, let's just try this, this, and this here and see what happens out of it. You know what I mean? So, like, that's the thing with the young team right now. There's, there's going to be opportunity for the coaches to, um, you know, work them through it. But right now they're trying to work them through it with the goal in mind of making the NCAA tournament because that's ultimately what you want to do every year, regardless of your roster makeup. So that with that in view right now, and this game today, as winnable as it was, despite the turnovers, despite some lineups maybe not clicking quite as well as they thought they would have, like, again, do it better was probably the option here with a, in a close game as opposed to like something against Villanova where the game's got out of hand. Now it's just time to throw some different guys into the game and see what they got. Robbie, do you have anything to add? 
No. Well, yeah, I mean, I guess for me, you know, does the do it better become, okay, they're not going to do it better. You know, like Jacob was talking about with the turnovers, we've seen this, the turnover teams in the country, stop saying do it better and you say okay somebody else do it because they're you know we're 15 games of the season we're halfway through the season maybe these guys at this point in their career aren't going to do it better so maybe give somebody else an opportunity or give at least a different look a different lineup you know these these extended stagnations on offense yeah you can say do it better or at this point we've seen them all year say somebody else gets to do it now somebody else gets to try now I understand the the NCAA tournament, if at all possible, but kind of like Jacob said, if it's not working, then what's the harm in a different iteration of it not working? You know, and the, yeah, and there, there isn't a single player on this team that has an extended track record at Creighton. So it's not like there's a bunch of guys that like, you know, hey, it's just a rough patch. We know what we're going to get out of him. This guy's done it for two, three years here. Um, I trust him. It's like all these guys are brand new. Like Fizel, it's like, at what point, um, like, what are you, I, I guess, talk to like Matt, like you've seen him do it before. We haven't really seen him do it before. Like, unless you count the, the practices that had uh, Matt and John so excited about what he was going to do this year. Uh, you want to count that, but like that, that's just kind of the question you was with. That's just, with the, such a, a young new team. I don't know that there are any established track re- records that you can fall back on. Like, Yes, I know this isn't going well now, but I know what he's capable of. I don't know that you can really say that definitively about anybody on this entire team. Um, yeah, I, I'm trying to make this go by fast so Jacob can get out yeah. of here. Sorry. Yeah. I, that, that's a definitely yeah. a conversation we've flushed out several times, so I'm trying to neuter it a little bit here. Um, we'll definitely revisit it, though. I have no doubt. Uh, next question is from April Bleeds Blue. Um, I've seen numerous times today this young team is too talented um, to have all these turnovers. This needs to change. Um, so how does it change uh, is the question. Like, what needs to change? Is it reps? Is it time? Um, <laughs> I don't know. What's, what's, the, what's the key ingredient there for Creighton improving his ball security as the season goes on? It's – I think it – it's it's film study it's repping it in practice maybe you need to change some of the drills you're doing to better uh replicate what you're seeing in terms of uh passing windows and pressure defense and all that kind of stuff i think uh, alex said mentioned like they need the 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 scout team to give them a really good look um to prepare them for what they're going to face on the court and that 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 extends to the coaching staff and the stuff they're they're running too um to kind of get them used to all right this is what it's going to look like this is what we can and can't do in these situations. Um, and at a certain point, there's got to be consequences too. Like you, at a certain point, if uh, Nemard has like three, four possessions in a row, you got to sit him down uh, if it's not, if he's continuing to make the same mistakes. And that goes for anybody on the team. Uh, if like uh, O'Connell, uh, today he was, you had no choice because he was the only one making shots for stretches of the game. Mm-hmm. He had some big time shots. But at a certain point, you have to also, <clears throat> hold guys accountable too. If it's not, if it's not, uh, if things aren't changing the way it is now, you just got to start pulling guys and hope that somebody else will, will either do better or that the guys will get the message that it'll sink in and they're, that they'll find a way to change whatever is leading to it. 
Yeah, I, I think the accountability is the big piece for me. I'm not going to be one of those guys that, you know, when when a team misses a bunch of free throws, be like, oh, we just got to lock them in the gym and make sure they make their free throws. Like, I'm not going to be that guy. I'm assuming that they're working on things in ball security and practice. I assume they know they're in the 300s in, in turnovers or turnover percentage in the country. So I assume they're working on the things in practice that they need to. But honestly, I think one of the worst things that could have happened to Ryan Nemhart is the fact that Sharif Mitchell hasn't been around in terms of physically being available to push him constantly to be better. Because if you have Sharif Mitchell, you can feel pretty confident in being like, hey, Ryan, you got to stop turning the ball over. You pull him, you put Sharif back in, right? Yeah. They probably don't have that comfort level with Roddy, which I understand. He's brand new, too. He's coming off an injury. Like, I get it. Um, You know, Trey Alexander handled some primary ball handling today. He looked okay, but that's probably not the spot you want him in. Um, that Sharif is not there to continue to help Brian Nemhard getting better just by being there in that same spot, I think, has, has hurt Nemhard's development. But at the end of the day, Jacob's right. It's about accountability. I don't care who you have to put in there. I don't care if you have to put Devin Davis in there. If Nemhard keeps throwing the ball away, you have to bring him out of the game at least briefly to be like, hey, we cannot keep doing this. You will cost us the game. Whether it's Nemhard or it's O'Connell, whoever it is, you just have to go out there and say, you know, if you're having that issue, turn the ball over. You have to go like playing time is the only currency, right? That's the only thing you have to barter with. So if they're not doing the things you need them to do, you take the currency away. Yeah, sorry. I'm just I'm just kind of laughing a little bit because we got we got we got let's back off Nemhart a little bit because he only had three of the 21. So like there's plenty of like uh currency going around if no, you so like yeah, yeah that, that, around. there's plenty of guys right now who could use some film study, like it's not just PG one. So like no, yeah. That's the only thing. Everybody in the rotation has had this problem at times. Yes. We're just using Ryan as an, uh, an example because he is the point guard. He is the one that handles it the most. And right, he's had sure. stretches throughout this year where he had four, five, six turnovers mm-hmm. in consecutive games. He has really struggled with turnovers this year. The whole team has. Again, O'Connell has. Uh, Kalkbrenner has, which sometimes you get from big men. Kaluma he probably needs has. to be with the basketball. Kaluma certainly has. He hasn't been strong enough with the basketball it's a it's a team-wide problem Mm -hmm. but the point guard's going to get the brunt of that criticism because he's the point guard and we have seen some really high turnover games from Nemhard on a consistent basis I get today he was only three out of the 21 but the four five six turnover games have not been a stranger to Nemhard either yeah and missing layups and the whatever the heck that mid-range like fadeaway that got blocked air ball whatever that was those are basically turnovers too Mm mm-hmm which which and I said that during the game too. I was like, Xavier only has like six or seven turnovers right now, but their shot selection is basically like yeah. they're even with Creighton in the turnover yeah. department. So um yeah, that's beside the point. Moving on. Um oh well, I guess we don't need to move on. The next question is how bad is Xavier? <laughs> they got like 41 turnovers and one by seven. Um so yeah, well, let's just jump back into that then because I was kind of on that point. Yeah, like I don't know. The more I watch Xavier, the less I love them. Like early on in the year, you know, you watch that Ohio State game where they were shorthanded, and um, I don't know, they just looked really impressive. They looked like a team that was kind of on point. Like they're like, okay, this is what we want to do this year. We want to make the NCAA tournament. We want to leave no doubt. We don't want to be on the bubble anymore. Um, we want to compete for the Big East championship. 
Um, we want to be the team to beat in this conference or one of them. Like, and they and they came out this year like playing like a team that looked like they knew how to go about doing that. The more I watch them and the more I watch them, especially against teams that are familiar with them, um, that can take away their pet plays and make them a little bit predictable offensively. Um, and then the more I watch them defensively too, the more problematic they look. Like, I don't know if I love them as much as I did a month ago. And I'm not totally sure why, because I think it's a combination of things. But, yeah, like, I don't know if this is if, – if I'm from a Xavier fan perspective, I don't know if I feel great about a game where Creighton was just, like, kicking the ball all over the Cincinnati area. And they basically had to, you know – go on one long extended run where again, Jacob mentioned earlier, like it wasn't like 19 to four happened for Xavier in like four minutes. It took like half the second half to make that happen. So yeah, I'm not sure. I'm not sure how good Xavier should feel about that one today. That being said, they did have six guys score double figures. They put up 80 points and they beat a team that we think has a chance to be pretty good in Creighton. So uh, they didn't play great. They didn't shoot the ball particularly well at all. But, like, some of those shots that Kunkel hit, um, those were some tough shots when they needed them the most. Obviously, Kobe Jones is a really good and unique player. Mm-hmm. Um, and we know Scruggs' uh, decision-making isn't always on point, but he is a guy that can create both for himself and his teammates. He's been a very good player throughout his career. Um, I think he's taken a step back in some uh, some aspects this season, but – He's certainly capable of being a really good player. We've seen what Nunji has done this year. We've seen what Fremantle was uh, before kind of the injuries that have held him back this year. So like if he gets right, then you've got a really nice one-two punch there. Um, so I think it's still probably a, a good team. I think this is, um, again, they were favored as much as they were over Creighton for a reason. Uh, it's top 25 team. But yeah, I, I don't know that it's a team with a super high ceiling, but they do have a lot of experience and they've got a lot of guys that can hurt you. Yeah, Johnson didn't even do anything today. I know. Yeah, I think the experience is going to help them win games that are tougher when they're not playing their best. But I, I think their ceiling is limited with Scruggs as their PG one. I think that's a, a position they need to address in some manner. Whether Dewan Odom um, gets more responsibilities or takes a leap there and changes their ceiling a little bit, their outlook. But I don't know. I just they are kind of who they are right now, and I'm not sure. It's uh, – I just don't see the separation that I expected to see. Robbie, how do you feel? Yeah, I'm kind of like Jacob. I don't think their ceiling's particularly high. I don't think they're a bad basketball team by any means. Like the question oh, suggested. No, 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 no. Yeah, 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 yeah. Their, their experience and their base talent level is – yeah, they're probably an NCAA tournament team. I, I At this point, I, I think it'd be silly to say otherwise. Um, but how – good are they going to be in the NCAA tournament do they have you know I don't look at this team and be like oh this team could be scary in the NCAA tournament it's like no Mm -hmm. they'll probably win their first game and they'll probably be done um that just kind of is the feel they'll win some games that maybe they're not as talented as um because they have a ton of experience but again if Paul Scruggs is a significant portion of your offensive game plan you are limited you know if you don't have um, a fully healthy Zach Fremantle, you're going to be limited. There's there's things that are are limiting factors for them that I think, like Jacob said, keeps their ceiling 
um, lower than they would probably like it to be. But this is a good basketball team. This is a team that will probably be kind of in that fringe top 25 for most of the year. And I, I imagine will be pretty solidly into the NCAA tournament. So that experienced team, ranked team on the road, like that's not a bad loss for Creighton at all. It's It looked bad because of how it happened. And it feels bad because they just, you know, Creighton looked like they were, you know, playing intramurals or something the way they were taking care of the basketball. But those things are separate from the fact that Xavier is a good basketball team, even if they didn't look terrible. You should have won by more considering how much Creighton turned the ball over. But this is a good basketball team. It's just a limited basketball team. Mm-hmm. Um, next question is how bad did Nemhard fall? Do we have another, another, another point guard injury at Xavier? Um, related to what's Reef's timeline, when do we get him back? I don't know. It doesn't sound like Reef is coming back this year from everything we keep hearing. Yeah. So, um, obviously, their practice situation is a little bit different because they're trying to keep COVID out of the gym. So, there's not as much exposure to people getting to evaluate what they're doing on a daily basis. But it doesn't sound like he hasn't practiced and it doesn't sound like he's close to practicing. So, without that, he's not close to returning. Um, Nemhard looked like he fell pretty, pretty hard. Like, honestly, that's and I, like that, it looks like a similar thing to what Reef is dealing with right now with the pelvic fracture. Like, I hope it's not the same thing because, well, let's just say you're going to get a lot of more Roddy minutes if it is the same thing. <laughs> so, <laughs> that, you, that is, yeah, that is not, not the way that I wanted it to happen. Just, <laughs> yeah, yeah, it, it, looked, it looked like a pretty hard fall. So, those usually last a while. Um, like, you know, and, and they affect other areas of the body too when they, as they, as you try to play through them while they're healing. So, Hopefully it's not as bad as it looked, but it did look like a pretty hard fall. And usually those have uh, a little bit of a ripple effect in terms of recovery, talking more like week or two, not necessarily a day or two. So we'll have to see. Um, Did we answer all phases of that question? You guys have anything to add to that, by the way? No, I think. Okay. Um, Joe Sobchak, is that how you say his last name? Sobchak. Sobchak, sorry. Uh, his this is the last question for us. Um, he says, if I set the total for conference wins for the Jays at 11 and a half, assuming they play all 20, would you choose the over or the under that number and why? Shit, if you set that at games played, I might not even take the over. So, <laughs> so yeah, yeah, that, that's that's the first one, but putting that aside, looking at Ken Palm, they are uh favored to go 500 the rest of the way which would get them to how many games how many games do they have scheduled left? Uh, well they've got eight eight of their 15 are wins uh, eight of the 15 games scheduled right now i believe one two three so that puts them four, at that puts yeah. them at 10 conference wins yeah. on yes. okay yeah so they're they're scheduled they're they're favored to win eight out of the the 15 left we still don't have the the providence game back on the schedule yet and i don't Let's... know that they ever will get it there yeah let's assume the providence game is not getting rescheduled let's just operate let's just let's let's answer this question within the within the lens of they're going to play every other game they have scheduled but not providence they won't make up the home game against providence so let's let's answer it from that lens how about that all right well so that, they're, two, they're two and two after today so 11 and a half is what he said in that over under. at 11 and a half i'd have to take I, i'd have to take the under at this point wow. we're talking about Conference wins. That's yeah. Total conference wins. Yep. He wants a yeah, reason. That's, he wants a reason too. Yeah, that's uh, for me. It's an under. It's an easy under 
for me, the right number is nine and a half because you're betting on whether they get to 10 conference wins. I thought 500 should be kind of the right, the, the, what they're shooting for in conference. Um, so if they're not rescheduling the Providence game, which we're just making an assumption here that puts them at what 19 total games. So you're at 10 and nine, if they get to 10 conference wins, um, to me, the right number is nine and a half. I don't, 11 and a half does not seem realistic. Well, let's, let's drop it down even to 10 and a half. Assume that they don't make a 10 and a half. Out Y'all of can't change the man's question. He set the parameters for it. <laughs> I, already answered, I already answered it. I was okay. just furthering the, the discussion. I'm taking the under. Uh, it's just hard to okay. trust them to win that many. That is a, a big number. But uh, again, it, it's pretty, again, the, the, Ken Palm has them winning 10 conference games. Mm. Uh, ten, 10 out of 19 is what Ken, uh, 10 and nine is what Kempom favors them to, to finish in, in league play. So they're right around the same area. Um, I mean, you win one you're not supposed to and take care of business, then you, you're kind of flirting with that, that line real close. But just with what we've seen in the inconsistency and knowing how crazy the schedule might get for the team mm-hmm. uh, and how short-handed their, or short their bench has been, it, it's hard to expect them to, to be better, um, like down the stretch, like that, like dramatically better and um, – just knowing how much they're going to have to go through. Like I saw what happened with Nebraska last year. Um, obviously talent levels playing all, all that is completely different, but just the, the, the strain, the strain of playing every other day or every three days um, that, that really does get to you. And we might get to a point where they're at least getting close to that. And I think that'll make it tough uh, on them as well. Yeah. You know what, as I'm, I'm my answer is like, going to be a little bit weird because the Ken Palm thing I'm kind of reversing some of their projected results based on the turnover situation because I think I think turnovers are going to be an issue with this team the rest of the year like I don't think they're all of a sudden magically going to uh, turn into a great ball security team like I think there's going to be games where they do take care of it but I think there's also still going to be those performances where you're like man what were they doing out there so like I'm looking at like St. John's, DePaul, and Marquette. Right now, they're Ken Palm has their projected to go four and one against those teams the rest of the way. Right, just one loss to St. John's on the road. Uh, ye- yep. So yep. yeah. So f- I don't know how Creighton goes four and one with the turnover situation being what it is against that group. However, I also don't see them going zero and two against Seton Hall and UConn both, or zero and four in that grouping because Seton Hall and UConn right now are not good defensively. Like, neither team is playing well defensively. So, I'm not sure. I mean, especially Seton Hall. So, I'm not sure Creighton's 0-4 in that grouping. Like, I, I I don't think that's – I don't think they're getting zero wins out of that. So, I don't know. Like, twelve and 12-8 and, 12 and looks hard, though. Or like it would be – they'd lose the Providence game. 12-7. and seven. I mean, that's that's really good. I feel like, I feel like twelve and seven gets them in the tournament, don't you? If oh, yeah. I mean any any combination of that twelve, like that makes them a pretty lo- a lock. Their yeah, they wouldn't even be a bubble team, would they? At twelve and seven in the Big East, no, twelve plus, and seven plus, plus that BYU win. Um, yeah, right. And, already and got, already got already got Nova once, and who else is going to beat Nova in this league? I don't know. The way they're playing right now, yeah, I don't know, man. Especially when you look at Xavier, they're supposed to lose the Xavier rematch too, and I don't know if I feel like that's going to happen. 
right? So they're 0 and 5 on Ken Palm, Ken Palm's projection against UConn, Seton Hall, and Xavier the rest of the way. I don't know if that's true. So, but they'll probably also drop a game that they shouldn't. Like they should not have yeah. lost an Arizona State game, and it happened. So that's yeah. kind of yeah. You always like, oh yeah, they could easily win this game. Well, they could probably also easily lose this other one that they're predicted to win. So it's true. it's hard to play. You got to kind of play that game both ways, and that's why it's kind of a like I you can fudge it one way or the other um, a, a little bit and feel not too bad about it. But um, yeah, like again, it's that that line's pretty close. Uh, you, mm-hmm. Like it, if I take the over on where Robbie said it at nine and a half, um, but. Uh, again, 10 and a half, I'd have to think about it. 11 and a half, I'm taking the under. Yeah, I think I'm going to go. I'm thinking I'm going to lock in on 10 as my number. Like, I think they'll get to 10 somehow. That's right. Um, I, I, I can't go over because 12 and seven is like, wow, that's, that's, I don't that's see, really the, yeah, that's a really good year. I don't see this team being, I don't see this team being 12 and seven in this, in this league right now with as much experience as it has and as much, as many NCAA tournament teams as it appears to have on this day, as we talk about it on January 15th, uh, 12 and seven seems like a stretch. Now, and they're going to lose. They're going to lose once to Georgetown because they always do. So. Okay. Uh, I don't know if that's going to happen, but um, <laughs> not this Georgetown team, um, but who knows? Maybe it will. Uh, yeah. That. But I'm going to say 10. I think that's a pretty safe, not only a yeah. safe number, but a, a pretty logical one, right? Like, it looks like there's eight wins out there in that grouping. I just even if it's a different variation of what the grouping is, um, but yeah, ten feels like a realistic and logical number, not too high, not too low. Um, and I think from a talent level standpoint, they're they're good enough to be above water in league play. So, yep. yeah, agree with all that. Cool. All right, sorry, Jacob. I know we overshot your uh, your finish line. Good. Um, so hopefully you can still get to your uh, get to your game in a safe manner. I appreciate you guys hopping on and giving us your insight. Um, so real quick, let's plug your guys' work. What you got going on, Jacob? First of all, at Hale Varsity that people can check out and read about. I know that a lot of the listeners for this show would probably really enjoy your coverage of the Husker men's <laughs> basketball team right now. So what do you got for them yeah. that they can check out? Well, I just got. Game, game coverage there, uh, the preview and the recaps and the occasional feature here and there. But uh, also my, my high school coverage over there, if you're interested in high school hoops, um, that isn't necessarily Husker related, but that still goes up at hailvarsity.com. So you can check that out. That's actually where I'm getting ready to head off here too to go catch a couple of games down in Lincoln. Um, so, and you can follow me for my Creighton takes on Twitter at uh, Jacob Padilla underscore. Also, cool. uh, shout out to Coach Huss. Happy birthday. Okay. Okay. Happy birthday, Coach Huss. Robbie, what you got for people? Uh, so I do the Blue Jay shoot around shows before every game. Got Creighton Athletics. Gotta be a little bit enthusiastic about it, man. Let them, let them know. <laughs> I do Blue Make Jay them. shoot around there every Creighton. Yeah. Creighton Athletics Hour every Thursday from 6 to 7 p.m. Uh, apparently, also, I'm doing a podcast now. So, uh, Check out Jay's 24-7. It's going to be me and Taylor Stormberg. Um, we're going to do some, like, a once weekly, I think, is the plan. Uh, Creighton podcast. So check that out. Uh, follow Jay's 24-7 on Twitter. They, You'll get all the information you need to know there. And then you can follow me on Twitter 
I tweet about a lot of different things. Um, some of it nonsensical, some of it sports, some of it, I don't know. It's R.A. Lula on Twitter, but that's all. All right, we're going to get Ravi a publicist so they can sell him better than he sells himself. He's great. <laughs> you need to follow him. You need to follow his work. You need to listen to his shows. Um, uh, we appreciate everybody for tuning in. Thanks for the questions. Uh, check out this podcast. If you're not subscribed to the White and Blue Review Network on iTunes yet, make sure you do that so you're ready to rock when this podcast drops. Um, you know, we also have the Scurry and the Scrub podcast, which goes on iTunes, SoundCloud, and YouTube. So make sure you're subscribed to the White and Blue Review YouTube channel as well um, for Tom's highlight reels and for the Scurry and the Scrub podcast and for creating commentaries, which we are kind of firing up now as we get back into canceling games and having to find time to uh, or find ways to kill time, I should say. Um, yeah, and then the rest of the coverage on whiteandbluereview.com. Got coverage of the women's team that's uh, rolling right now. They got St. John's tomorrow at 1 p.m. Everybody go to the DJ Silk Arena for that one. Uh, if you haven't listened to the last episode of Scurry in the Scrub, Jordan is <laughs> doing a giveaway of his Scurry Hoops uh, gear. So all you have to do is go to the game, tweet, hashtag Scurry in the Scrub, and Jordan will send you free um, Scurry Hoops gear. So with proof of attendance. Um. All right. Well, that's it for us. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks for the questions. Uh, we'll talk to you again on the Blue Jay beat, hopefully Wednesday night. That's when the Jays host um, St. John's at the CHI Health Center for the first home game since December 17th, 1965, <laughs> or somewhere around there. All right, guys, have a good night. Thanks for your time.